this morning, I have the privilege of starting a new series that we are going to spend a number of weeks in that we are calling Mind Field. Winning the war with in. Because whether you realize it or not, you are caught in the middle of an epic war right now. And I'm not talking about some, you know, nuclear global war. Um, I'm not talking about some political war. Those would be way too obvious. I'm talking about a much more subtle and sneaky war that's being waged beneath the surface. That's being waged on the battlefield of our mind. A war that's being waged in the war zone of our hearts. And your ability to live life most meaningfully is determined by how you fight that war. There is a war raging beneath the surface. And by the way, that is so good for us to hear and for us to spend some time thinking about because we live in a culture that is obsessed with the superficial, obsessed with what's on the surface. We live in a culture that's obsessed with performance and behavior, and that's how we measure success. And yet the war that we want to talk about is raging beneath the surface of all of those things. We spend so much of our energies focused on fighting a superficial battlefield of behavior. One of the most compelling images that I saw as I was starting my graduate counseling courses, uh, looked something like this. It'll look familiar to some of you. Obviously, uh, designed by some British folks based on the spelling of things uh, up here. Uh, from the beginning, uh, they wanted us to understand that, hey, listen, behaviors, the things that we do, the things that we see, behavior is just a small fraction of who we really are. The vast majority of who I am as a person, who you are as a person, lurks beneath the surface, lingers beneath the surface of what you can see with the naked eye. And while we spend so much of our energy in this culture focused on the tip of the iceberg, dealing with behavior and adjusting the things that everybody can observe, where life really is lived and determined is beneath the surface. In the world of our thoughts and our emotions and our heart. And if we want to live life Most meaningfully, we need to learn to focus on fighting and winning the war that's lurking beneath the surface. And come on, you know as well as I do that this has translated, this is a picture of how the church often thinks. 
We want to become godlier people. So we're going to focus on our behavior and doing better and making these changes and making these adjustments where everybody can see it. And no one's going to judge me because I'm struggling with this thing when the reality is the war is being raged, waged beneath the surface. And our ability to live life most meaningfully is determined by how we wage that War, which is something the Bible tries to teach us over and over again, including in the passage of Scripture that we're going to spend some time looking at today. If you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, the verses will appear on the screen and you can follow along that way. Romans chapter 7. Paul's about to take us beneath the surface to the place where the war is really waged. And men, let me just tell you now, if you have ever struggled To do the right thing in an area of your life and you feel like you just keep tripping over and over again, stumbling and falling in that area. And so then you get up and you resolve to try a little bit harder and shift your behaviors a little bit only to trip and stumble and fall again in that area of your life. Because you want to try and please God, but yet you keep tripping and falling and stumbling in this area of your life. You're going to appreciate what Paul has to say. You're going to identify with what Paul has to say. Oh, I want to do better and I keep tripping up and so I try harder and I resolve more and then I trip again and then I feel like a failure and then I feel like a hypocrite. Paul's about to say it's not mainly about your behavior. You better recognize that there is a war within. All right, here's what he says. Romans chapter 7 starting at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. It's really interesting, by the way, how Paul starts this conversation. He starts by making this almost odd confession. He says, listen, I'm going to take you beneath the surface and talk about the war that's raging. But before we get to all of that, let me just start by saying the problem is me. I'm going to share a lot of things about the war and how it works, but I've got to start by letting you all know that the problem is me. And here's how he says it. He says the law is spiritual. And when he talks about the law, he's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about the law of God. He says it's spiritual. And that's just his way of saying the law of God The scriptures, the word of God is flawless. Whatever this book calls us to be and calls us to do is flawless. Because this book has its origins in the flawless spirit of God. The law is flawless. He says we know that. The law is spiritual. I, on the other hand... I'm unspiritual. I, on the other hand, I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm flawed. I'm 
imperfect. Interesting way for him to start this conversation. And what he's essentially communicating to us is, hey, so I just want to get on the record. That whenever something in me doesn't live up to something in this book, the problem is me. The law is derived from the Holy Spirit. My behavior is often driven by my master sin. He starts by saying there is a problem and the problem is me. Now, that could sound like a self-own. That could sound like a self-dis when Paul says it, but it is a powerful declaration. And it's a declaration that I pray that each and every one of us would join Paul in making. The problem is me. I am broken. I am flawed. I am weak. I am prone to sin. That is such a powerful declaration. And here's why, by the way. Because if you don't make the declaration that the problem is me, then whenever you slip up, whenever you mess up, you are going to be racked with shame and guilt because you believed at a deep level that you are somehow perfect and you're supposed to bat 100%. And so when you mess up in that area, you are going to beat yourself up with shame. Like, you, you, shame on you. You should have been perfect. You should have been better. You should not have struggled this way. You should not have slipped up this way. And Paul just comes out of the gates and says, let me just say for the record, I'm a flawed, broken, messed up man. The problem is me. The problem is not in the word of God, that's going to come in handy. And I'm speaking in the context of a church where many of us are beat down by so much shame and guilt. And most of it starts because somewhere along the line, somebody told us we're supposed to be better. And we're supposed to live up to some standard called perfection. And when we don't do it, the voices begin to condemn. And then Paul takes us a little bit further beneath the surface into the war zone of the mind. Verse 15. says, I don't get it. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. The law is flawless. Come on, have you ever experienced the war within? I don't get it. Paul says, I don't claim to perfectly know everything that God wants for my life, but I know enough. I know some of the right things that I should do. And I promise you right now, I wanted to do the right thing. I really woke up this morning with every intention to do the right thing in that area. But when push comes to shove, what do I do? I end up doing the thing I didn't want to do. The thing I hate doing. That's what I continue to do. The Bible is right. So obviously the problem is me. 
But I can't stop doing the thing that I hate. And ah, there is a war raging beneath the surface. And I'm just asking you, is there an area of your life? And don't you lie in church. And it just has you. Come on, you wake up with every intention of doing better in that way. And by 3.30 p.m., your face is in your palms and you are shaking your head. How on earth did I blow it again? I'm just asking. You said two days ago how much you hate being hung over. And then last night, you did the thing you hate. You swore it was the last time. You hate the look in your kids' eyes when you lose your stuff. And you lash out in anger at them. And yet by 6.30 a.m., Better yet, on your way to church to worship Jesus. Man, I did it again. And I know that I'm supposed to apologize, but that's going to be sad. So I don't do it because then, and I I hate the fact that I can't do it and what it's doing. And yet here I am again. I hate how I spend so much of my money just buying myself more stuff and I'm neglecting areas that I know I should be investing in with generosity. And yet look at my house. Looks like an episode of Hoarders. And I can't stop. You hate how used you feel after the hookup. And yet it is the fourth time this month. This is Paul. Hate how I feel after that all night online binge. I hate it and yet I keep coming back to it over and over and over again. I know that when I send that text it opens the door and this door takes us down this path and this path leads us to a place that neither of us like and yet we continue to do it. I continue to bite the bait and send these texts and I cannot stop. Ah! Says Paul. I can hear what I'm yelling at my parents as I'm yelling it. And I know I should stop. But here I am. The words flowing out of my mouth. Once again. I know that these paralyzing anxious thoughts are not based on anything true. I know it. And yet here I am. And I cannot stop. And I'm in this hyperventilating ball again. I know that their opinion of me does not define who I really am and yet I cannot stop faking it to pretend it to be something I'm not so I can impress them and then I feel so exhausted and I hate how I feel at the end of the day and yet tomorrow I'm going to jump on the performance treadmill and I'm going to do it all over again and I just hate. I'm just asking you, is there an area of your life in which you know the right thing and yet you keep sabotaging yourself and you hate that you do but you keep doing it. Have you ever said never again? Over and over again. 
Paul says there is a war raging beneath the surface. And I'm just asking, church, are you aware of that? And if you can relate, that's the war. That's the war. Then Paul goes on. He seems to almost change his mind and and maybe shift the blame a little bit like he's having a moment of the devil made me do it. He says, verse number 17, he says, as it is though, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I, I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Keep messing up, man. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. But it's the sin living in me that does it. This is so so interesting. It almost sounds like Paul is shifting the blame. But he is teaching us something so key for us to learn as we process the war that's raging beneath the surface. And here's what Paul is teaching us. Something that I trust all of us will become aware of if we weren't before. Paul is saying, there are two me's. I don't know if you knew that. This is going to help somebody. There are two me's. The reason you sometimes feel like you have a multiple personality condition is because you have a multiple personality condition. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Here is what happened. It's a beautiful thing. When you trusted Jesus on the day, in the moment you trusted Jesus, Jesus made you brand new. In fact, let me say it a different way. The moment you trusted Jesus, Jesus made a brand new version of you. Ooh. The moment you got saved, Jesus made a version of you that did not exist at any point prior to the moment of your salvation. He made a brand new version of you. Ooh. You had never seen this version. This version of you is forgiven completely righteous. This version of you is made clean. This version of you is almost as if you had never sinned. He made a new version of you. You 2.0. Glorious. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone has trusted Jesus, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Did not exist before. The old has gone. The new is here. He created a brand new version of you 2.0. So now, when God looks at you, 
What does he see? 2.0 brand new version of you. He sees you as forgiven. He sees you as covered in the righteousness of Jesus. He sees you as if you had never sinned. That's what it means when it says you've been made new. And by the way, when it says the old has gone, it's speaking about in the eyes of God. The old version of you is no longer a version that God looks at or interacts with. When God interacts with you, when God thinks about you, he thinks about the new version in the person of Jesus Christ. Flawless, forgiven, brand new. Okay, then why don't I feel like that? Great question. Because the old version of you is gone in God's eyes, but not gone from your experience. When Jesus saved you, he made a brand new version of you, but he did not uninstall the old janky version of you. There are two yous. There is 1.0 you and 2.0 you and y'all live in the same body. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are two yous at the same time. The old you and the new you, both in you and both you. The sinner you and the saint you, both in you at the same time. The righteous you and the righteous you, both in you at the same time. Evil you, good you, both in you at the same time. The human you and the heavenly you, both in you at the same time. Mr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, both of y'all. Now, I agree with you. I know what you're thinking and you need to know I agree. It would have been super nice. If Jesus had seen fit to evict the old version from within me when he created the new version. But he did not. The old sinful ratchet version of me is still a tenant living in me and very opinionated and super strong. If you feel like you have a multiple personality condition, it's called Christianity. Congratulations. So is Paul shifting the blame in this passage of scripture? No, he's just clarifying. Which me is talking about. It can get exhausting and frustrating and so does the war within. Right? Look again. Verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself 2.0. New version. Who do it. But it is the sin living in me 1.0. The old version. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my old version. My sinful nature. For I, new version, desire to do what is good. And I agree that the word of God is true. But I cannot carry it out because that 
just nagging. Old me is constantly getting in the mix. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do because 2.0 wants to do good. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I 2.0 who do it, but it is the sin living in me 1.0 that does it. And in other words, Paul is saying, ah, there is a war raging in me between the new me and the old me and those two suckers do not get along and yet they are forced to be roommates until the day I die. The new me wants to do good and it seems like I'm heading in the direction and I'm starting well and man my day started in prayer and devotion and I headed out the door and I'm not even kidding you as I reached for the handle I felt an ankle tap and I went down old me's like no we don't like what is going on I really wanted to do the right thing And sometimes it feels like I'm doing okay. And then other times it feels like I'm not. And I feel like I'm being ripped from within. There is a war raging beneath the surface. Between the two versions of you. And listen, on week one of this series, if nothing else, I wanted to introduce you to yourself. Both of y'all. So you know, you are not crazy. Well, if you're crazy, it's not because of this. Listen, you are not pathetic. And oftentimes, you are not a hypocrite. You are a soldier caught in a war raging beneath the surface. Torn between two realities. And if you don't realize this again, you will lose to shame and and guilt and they will bring you down you will ask am I even saved I can't get anything right I had a goal of going on a three month sinless streak and I barely made it three minutes does Jesus even love me am I forgiven how come I can't keep this stuff together for very long before something sneaks up and I did something I said something and I thought something before I knew it Wish I could be more like those Christians with their perfectly sculpted icebergs and their great behavior. No, there is a war within you. The old you wants nothing to do with the flawless law of God. The new you wants nothing to do with the lawless deeds of the flesh. And they keep fighting. Roommates. That don't get along. That's why your mind feels like a hot mess. Stuff lying around all the time. And then Paul says it again. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. Waging war. It's a war y'all. Against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. And both of these realities exist. What a wretched man I am. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a great question. And then as we move forward in this series, here are a couple of truths um, that I think will be really, really key for us to latch onto. The first one, a declaration that I pray each of us would make is this one on the screen. That the new me is the true me. The new me is the true me. Come on somebody, no matter what you see on the surface of your behavior this week, the new you is the true you. The older sinful version of you. Unforgiving, chronically anxious, lustful, consumed at times with fear. That's the 1.0 version of you. But it's not the truest version of who you are. In the middle of this war, you are going to want to latch onto that. Please hear me. When you mess up, it will be tempting to believe that your truest identity is a failure and a loser and a hypocrite and an anxious person and a fearful person. And these are the things that define me. And Paul would scream, oh no. The new you is the true you. The new you is the true you. Because of Jesus, you are righteous and forgiven. And that's what God sees and says about you. That is your true identity. And that is what, if I'm you, I would recommend that you side it with what God sees and says when he looks at you. Some of us, if you're like me, we are losing the war within because even as we sit here, the things that we say about ourselves are based on the last thing we did on the surface. They're based on our behaviors and how well we can keep things together. And the last time I yelled at my kids, and the last time I swiped the wrong way, and the last time I said something I didn't mean, and the last time I had a binge situation, that now defines who I am. No, it doesn't. There is a new version of you. And that's the version that heaven sees and heaven interacts with. And when we go to war, you are going to want to focus on the new version of you. That's the version of you you want to start to feed. That's the version of you you want to start to agree with more. That's the version you want to spend more time speaking to. If you're like me, I spend much more time dealing with The side of me that's broken and messed up. And that's what I believe defines who I am. And yet if we're going to go to war. It becomes very important. Which side of me. So to speak. That I am focusing on. It becomes important to understand the new you is the true 
you. And Paul asks the question, man, in all of this mess and all of this chaos and all of the war that's raging beneath the surface, who will save me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question, verse number 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Who can deliver me from this inner war? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The, 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 the new you is the true you. But also good for us to see and hear that ultimately Jesus is my victory. It is tempting to read a passage like this and to think about how much it identifies with the life that I live. And we can start to believe, is victory even possible? Is it possible for me to even live a godly life? Is it possible for me to even live a holy life? And Paul says, I can't. The problem is me. But thanks be to God in the person of Jesus, he can. That the victory is ultimately in a person and in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we have this conversation, we're going to find ourselves invited to run back to Jesus, the victorious one. Jesus, the one who can get beneath the surface and he can chisel icebergs. He can chisel glaciers. He can do whatever he He's the only one who can wrestle the 1.0 version of me to the ground, rendering him powerless and enabling me to walk out of the door in freedom and make decisions that are honoring to his perfect word. Only Jesus. And in the context of a church where we love to focus on behavior and strategies, it is good to hear Paul's reminder like, I'm a mess, man. I'm a hot mess. There's constantly this war and this battle on the inside of me. But I'm going to come back to the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to come back to Jesus and experience a victory as he reminds me of his grace. I do not look at you based on your last mistake. I look at you based on my finished work on the cross. There is grace for you. There is forgiveness. Matter of fact, I heard them talking about you in heaven. And you should hear what they say about you. You righteous one. You child of God. Called into relationship with him. The victory is ultimately... In the person of Jesus. Only Jesus can give me the power to say no. And live. A holy life. Now in this conversation. We're going to talk about some of the things that we're called to do. Some of the things that we're invited to do. As we wage this war. As we fight this war. But ultimately even those things are going to be brought back to the feet of Jesus and acknowledging that he is ultimately our victory. I don't know what the spirit of God 
is doing in you. But we want to give you a, a little bit of time to, to, to process this with him. Maybe for some of you, you've lived on, on this performance treadmill and you've been aspiring to perfection and you've just been beating yourself up and maybe it's just the invitation to make the confession, I can't. I'm a broken person. The struggle is just evidence that I am a broken person. Maybe for some of you, it's, man, it's, it's the recognition that, man, I'm not defined by my shame. I'm not defined by my last mistake. I'm not defined by my behavior ultimately. I'm defined by what Jesus Christ has done for me and what God says about me. Maybe for some of you, it's I have been running here and there and I've been trying to solve issues and I've been trying to do better and I've been trying to chip away at the tip of the iceberg. And Jesus, I just want to come and acknowledge I can't do it. I continue to mess up and fail and I've continued to try harder and harder. And I just want to come into your presence and say, would you be the one who is my victory? Would you give me power? But I know for some of you, it's just heaven screaming grace over you. You are covered by grace. You are loved by God because of what Jesus Christ has done. I want to give you a couple of moments to just listen to what the Spirit of God might be saying to you. And say to him what you believe he might be inviting you to say to him. We are going to share in and receive communion here in a few moments. But as we prepare for that, just what is it that he might want to say specifically to you? So let's take a few moments and then we'll continue in communion. You know, I appreciate this invitation uh, this morning to reflect on this war within. I don't know about you, but it hits me right where I am uh, today. And so I love this acknowledgement, right? That, that Jesus is the only perfect one. We don't have to be. We just get to acknowledge our brokenness before a holy and a loving God. And I don't know about you, but that's freeing to me. And so in a moment, we're going to receive communion. And it's an invitation for you to continue to do business with God. You'll remember in the Gospels, right, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, before he was to be crucified, he sat in an upper room with his disciples and he shared a meal with them. And he said, this is my body for you. This is in remembrance of what I'm about to go through for you. And likewise, he took the cup and after praying over it, he gave it to his disciples and said, take this, drink this, this is the blood of the new covenant that was poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus invites us to the table that every time we come to this table, that we can come before him and say, God, I am a broken person. I have two me's within me that are warring against one another. 
he gives us an opportunity to come to the table and say, I come broken, but only you, Jesus, can make me whole and holy. And so we're gonna give you that opportunity this morning to continue to do some business with God, to continue to bring the warring parts of who you are to his throne and say, God, please, I'm in desperate need of a savior who will continue to walk this journey with me and forgive me for the things that I have done wrong, for the things I want to do, this battle that I have within me. And this is a unique moment, a unique practice that we as the church get to do together in community with other people. And so we're gonna give you a moment. The ushers are gonna come forward in just a second and they're gonna pass the the elements to you and we ask that you just receive them. And then we're gonna give you some, some time to just continue to be with God, to continue to do that. So sometimes we receive those uh, elements together and this, this morning we're gonna give you an opportunity just to continue to speak with God, continue to do good work and let him speak to you and help him, uh, let him allow this moment to say, I am here to make you whole and holy, even in the midst of this war that you are in, engaging in right now. And you don't have to worry. Everything we have is gluten-free, so you can enjoy that if you have restrictions. But we're gonna take a moment now and receive communion together. So would you join me in prayer as we we come to the table? God, I thank you for, we thank you for Jesus, a savior that we so desperately need. What we do on the surface how we act and what people see is just one part of who we are. There's so much below the surface. And we have this war waging within us, God. And we need a savior to be able to walk alongside us and to help remind us of our identity, forgiveness of those things that we've done or said or thought. Continue to make us right. Continue to make us whole and holy. And so God, we come to your table this morning and we ask for you to do the work that only you can do in this time. And we praise you and we thank you for the gift of salvation and the gift of your body and your blood and all that that means so that we can be connected to you. We can have salvation. We can be forgiven. And so we come to the table this morning with a posture of thanksgiving and asking for you to be with us and to be our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name that we